Hello, and welcome to Firmly Grasp It, a podcast about sports and all it's being. I am your host, Evan Greenberg. With today, with me as always, it's my main co-host, you know him as the King of Jordan, Sammy Oshawebke. Sammy, how are you today? Doing well. How's it going? Doing well. And we have a new guest finally joining us today. This is one that's been a long time in the making. And it's also going to be starting a new segment, which if you look at the title, it's called Firmly Classics. And coming on today... Another member of the neighborhood squad, besides being a history buff, her interests include walking in the evening, the color black, and sloths. Her dislikes include the sun and the beach. Welcome on, Marissa Greenberg. How are you, Marissa? Uh, I was doing well until I was rudely roasted at 9.35 a.m. You know, you started it like 10 minutes ago before we got on the episode. I had to just... Bring it back to you. I thought it was more of just like your dating profile. <laughs> well then, thanks for that. Also, um, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> of course, of course. And what what the reason we're bringing you on? Besides that, I just I know you're fluent. You did some a lot of radio stuff back in high school and college, so you're very comfortable with the audio platform. Although podcast is a little bit different than radio, but you're also just very into history. You teach history in high school, and that's been your common interest. And Sammy and I have talked about previously how we're, although we're not as invested in the history of the U.S. and everywhere around, we're both very interested in it. And we figured our listeners might be too as part of our educational aspect. We do our quickly grasp bits, which are our 30 minute or less, but those are more you can do with one easy click. We wanted you to give us more of the in-depth, hardcore research stuff for all those huge research nerds. Yeah, definitely. I think obviously with sports, there's a lot to know about the basics of sports, but then it's also important to understand what sports looked like before it looked like how it does now. Absolutely, because as I mean, we're getting to today's topic, which is going to be the first one. We'll do plenty of these kind of throughout. They're not going to be super frequent. We'll come up with an idea. We'll try to keep it relevant to what's going on in the world. If not, it is what it is. We'll give you some interesting content regardless. But I just want to start off with a uh, common quote that many people hear, and that is those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. That will be kind of a theme with all these episodes, but in particular, the one we're doing today, because we will be discussing, or Marissa will be leading us in a discussion about the Spanish flu. Yeah, and I mean, just about how it impacted the sports world and, you know, how different that might look to what we're dealing with in the sports world today with COVID. Right, because COVID, a lot of comparisons, especially early on, were to the Spanish flu. Fortunately, the numbers do not look like they will equally correlate. However, we're still in the infancy stages, it seems like, of the virus, especially in the United States. So I guess we'll continue to figure out how to solve it. Hopefully, we'll get some vaccine or cure in the future. But as you mentioned, we are focusing on more of the sports aspect because although the Spanish flu really was around 100 years ago, just a bit over 100 years ago from now, Sports are still going on in the U.S. and all around the world. But before we kind of get into that, what's funny is the Spanish flu, we, you know that you hear the name Spanish flu and you say, oh, it's a Spanish disease. But I no. just learned recently from doing research <laughs> on the podcast that it's not, right? Yeah, no, it started in Kansas. So you're welcome, world. 
It's it's so funny to think about, and the reason. Do you want to go through the reason why it's the Spanish flu, despite it being an American-born disease? Basically, trails back to World War One. Basically, most of Europe was deep into it and wasn't really reporting on it, and Spain was one of the countries that was mostly reporting it. So a lot of the information about the Spanish flu was coming out of Spain. So that's basically how it got its name. So yeah, just remember when people wanted to call the COVID-19 the Chinese flu, just remember the Spanish flu wasn't actually even Spanish. Yeah, because all of that information was coming out of Spain, people just tied it to Spain, thought it originated from Spain. But it's really only because the rest of the world was basically uh, right buried into the end of World War One. So not a lot of time to focus on this, uh, you know, little flu. Right. Although it wasn't really a little flu, right? So it wound up infecting about 500 million people, killing about 50 million. So not so little. It was basically an H1N1 influenza. And it infected, like I said, about a third of the world's population, you know, and that's without modern medicine. And they did the best they could. But that's a lot of people. So that compi- uh, combined with the, world, the end of World War One, 1918, the world was having a great year. <laughs> Just similar to 2020, I would argue, although we are not, we are fortunately not in a world war. The circumstances are slightly different than they I mean, been. we were all not in yet. a world war, so. Not yet is the thing. Not yet. <laughs> well, earlier this year, we almost had World War Three. so we're currently living in 1918, uh, 1968, and who knows what else is coming for us, so. 1929. Oh, right, 1929, like, we're, we're hitting all the benchmarks this year. <laughs> what, um, I heard about the Spanish flu, though, that, you know, people keep talking about a second wave when it comes with COVID. I yeah. heard, uh, I heard that there was more than just a second wave. I think there was, was there four waves? For the Spanish flu? Yeah. Mm, that I'm not sure. I know there was definitely at least two. I believe there were three for sure. I'm just not 100% sure how many waves there wound up being. I know that the second wave was worse than the first wave, which is what people were concerned about with COVID. And then I believe it started to taper off and the, the subsequent waves were smaller. But somebody might need to fact check me on that because I am not, you know, an epidemiologist, but, you know, or an entomologist. At, yeah. Wrong word. We don't expect you to. We're, we're here to talk about kind of just what happened within the sports realm of how it went on. But it's also interesting because the reason that COVID-19 was such a big issue is because we are such a globalized society that there's so much interconnected travel. But as you mentioned, since World War II was going around, we were it wasn't quite the same, but it was almost worse because not only do we have m- millions of people traveling country to country and battling each other, they were in extremely confined spaces, both opposing sides and people within their own armies and navies and everything else. So it was just so easy for it to spread. We're now we're have a much stronger ability to isolate ourselves, even though we are so interconnected. We can shut off planes. We don't have reasons to necessarily go out where people were fighting for their countries at the time and there was no excuse. Because people were dying. If it wasn't for the Spanish flu, there were a myriad of other reasons to be dropping like flies. Right. It wasn't like, uh, you know, World War One was happening. It wasn't like, oh, there's a flu. Pack it up, boys. Time to go home. They uh, still had to finish out the war. So that um, definitely contributed to the spread. 
Absolutely. And it wasn't as much one sports weren't as popular yet in the US as they end up being later on. And if we compare it to like World War One to World War Two, where World War Two a lot of professional sports players were going overseas to participate in the war. There was some overlap in World War One, but it wasn't quite the same. Right. The only sport that was really impacted by World War One was baseball, where the season was actually cut short because of the war. But other than that, I mean, the um, NFL and the NBA didn't exist yet, and hockey was in it. The NHL was in its infancy, so it wasn't really impacted as much by the war, at least. We should probably start getting into baseball, because as you mentioned, one, it was the most impacted. Two, it is America's pastime. It was really the one major sport that was a major facet of American life up to this point. And there are a lot of well-known players that got the Spanish flu, including Babe Ruth. Yes, he actually, people believe he had the flu twice. He got it, he recovered, and then once he was once he was done with the season, he got it again. So, but there were quite another, uh, quite a no- number of people in the baseball world that were impacted. There was a player who had played for the White Sox, Indians, and the Boston Braves between 1913 and 1917. So his playing career was newly ended, but it was still somebody that people knew. Then a, a bunch of minor league players were infected. Eddie Martin, he was a writer for the Boston Globe and a scorer for the 1918 World Series, was infected. And then Silka Laughlin was an American League umpire who was very well known. He was a umpire from 1902 to 1917 so very you know that's a 15-year career people knew him and he also um, came down with the flu so it definitely uh, didn't discriminate it didn't care whether you were an athlete or whoever it just you know went after you and I think that definitely speaks to a lot of the concerns that players have right now you know because even more so now I think there's more as you said, more interconnectedness. So I think there's even more of a chance of it spreading once sports pick back up. Basically what happened was the war was going on. So the the season was shortened by about 30 games. So because of that, they were able to get the World Series in because it basically happened in September instead of October. So um, it happened before the second wave kicked in. But Basically, once it ended, the baseball players were considered non-essential, so they were basically required to either go fight or work toward the war effort in some capacity. So they were lucky enough to get their full season in, which was good. But right after the season ended, Chicago did put a ban on public gatherings due to the second wave, which would have impacted baseball had the season still be active. So just as we're seeing now, there's a ban on big public gatherings. And basically, had World War One not been happening, the season most likely would have been cut short due to the Spanish flu, just as we're seeing this year with COVID. So they're you know, people keep saying these are unprecedented times, but realistically, they're not. You know, certainly in our lifetime, they are. But there is somewhat of a precedent with stuff like this. No, I just, so I definitely think there's um, parallels that, you know, we can look at when trying to figure out what sports is going to look like when it comes back. There's actually even images of players in 1918 wearing masks, even though that wasn't a requirement from the league. Some players chose to do that. So that's certainly something that we could look at. You know, when the MLB does start up, are players going to be wearing masks? Are other people in the involved going to be wearing masks? And then there were also no restrictions in terms of fan attendance or masks once baseball did come back in 1919. However, as a result of all of this, the um, spitball pitch was banned. So, Darn. yeah, 
What a shame. We just talked about that yesterday. In yesterday's episode, we talked about, we were talking about our favorite pitches, and I said one of my favorites was the spitball pitch. Of course it is. So, yeah, that's banned, so congrats on that. But I think that's also a direct correlation to, you know, how the MLB is trying to ban spitting now and things that would kind of lead to spitting, like chewing tobacco and sunflower seeds and gum. And I know a lot of the players are freaking out about that because I've seen a few quotes basically saying, oh, I don't know how I'm going to play without spitting, which gross, but, you know, it's part of their habits, I guess. And there will be a big difference there between the fandom because it looks like at least for the 2020 season that's coming up, there will be no fans in attendance, even though they'll be playing in home ballparks, there will be no fans involved, unlike basketball where they're going to be in an isolated location or a quote-unquote bubble. But the other stuff remains. We'll see what the, I'm, I am curious of what the players are going to be doing to take individual protections. And right now we've seen just as baseball has decided to come back, there's been a rise in cases on a number of teams and a number of locations where there are major teams. I saw a news report today that a lot of members of the front office of the Texas Rangers are getting very concerned and are asking if they can work from home because they feel unsafe due to the high rise of numbers in the state of Texas. Right. That's definitely going to be something to look at because now a lot of the states are seeing significant rises in cases. So, you know, even if they do have these hub cities or, you know, whatever model the MLB is looking at, you know, you're still going to have some level of travel and people connecting with teams that are in these newly impacted areas. You know, luckily the New York teams right now seem to be okay, but it's still spreading. And I think that's something that might impact the supposed start dates of all of these uh, sports that are coming back. How many fans were typically in attendance during these times? Because, you know, we mentioned, Evan mentioned that there's going to be no fans when they return uh, next month. But, you know, you see that, you know, there are images of people wearing masks in the stands or, you know, even if they had spectators, you know, were there a lot? Because I remember, so I'm a soccer guy, and I know that during this time, there was a famous game for Chelsea where they played someone named Fulham. And I believe they had 30,000 fans in their stadium at the time, which for saying that for sports at that time is, is an incredible number to have 30,000 fans in the stadium. But also during a time of a horrible virus like this going on, horrible flu. And that definitely must have contributed to helping it spread. Right. I wonder if it was that like significant here in the U.S. or with the later more more so with the later sports that we'll be talking about. Right. Well, I know that the um, the stadium that the Cubs were playing at at the time only held about eighteen thousand people. So you know, obviously, that's much smaller than what Wrigley holds today. But you know, that's still a large amount of people, and I think that, like I said, the second wave hadn't started yet in 1918, or at least in the fall of 1918. So, you know, public gatherings weren't banned just yet. So the some of the players were definitely wearing masks. Um, there's photographs of that even. But there were no limits in terms of capacity or requirements for masks of spectators. So if baseball does come back and, you know, they do want to try and get some revenue from ticket sales, that's certainly something they're going to have to start to sort out, you know, and that's definitely a big difference even for sports today versus back then. There wasn't nearly the revenue from ticket sales and advertising and all the different revenue avenues that we have today with sports. So I think that obviously back then it was about money, but it wasn't as much about money as it is now. It was still looked at as an 
it was entertainment, but not on the scale that it is today. Today, you know, it's it's arguably more about money than it is about the sport. 100% it is about the money. That's why all these sports are so desperate to come back. It's not, not because the players are so obsessed with the game or the owners just really want to see baseball. It's that there's so much money involved. In this one, basketball and football as well, pretty much all the sports. It's just all about the Benjamins, as I like to say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I mean, I think it's anybody's guess at this point how baseball looks like when it comes back, especially given the rise in cases we're seeing in a lot of states right now. But, you know, I think definitely looking back at how things were handled, not necessarily for baseball, because like I said, it wasn't really affected in terms of their playing season by the Spanish flu, but there were some little things on the back end that were impacted. So I think it'll be interesting to see the um, how how closely it matches. Besides baseball, though, there were other sports that were impacted. Hockey was impacted. College sports were impacted just as they were now. Boxing and wrestling was impacted. And I know boxing and wrestling is a sport that's been getting a lot of flack for the way they handled all of this. In 1918, October of 1918, in Philadelphia, there was supposed to be a high-profile boxing match between Jack Dempsey and Battling Levinsky. The fight was only postponed until November. So again, you kind of see the same thing where, you know, if it was canceled in October, realistically, do you really think it was safe to go back in November? It's kind of similar to how UFC did shut down for a little bit, but people kind of said, hey, I think you're coming back a bit too soon. And there have definitely been matches postponed because of people testing positive for COVID. And you know, UFC's answer to that was, oh, we've been testing diligently. You know, people have been tested multiple times a week. But recently there was a picture of a fighter wearing a mask to get weighed in. But others felt that because testing was happening so frequently, there was no need to wear a mask, even though realistically, I know it's become more of a political thing now. But, you know, the CDC is still saying to wear masks if you're in close proximity to one another. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, what that kind of looks like. Yeah, I mean, do you think the UFC fighters should be wearing masks? Or, you know, do you think the people, the I know that the refs for the matches have been wearing masks. But, you know, something like boxing or wrestling where players are literally in each other's faces and touching each other. And, you know, the mats can be sanitized, sure. But still, you know, the ring can be uh, sanitized. But I think that's certainly a high contact sport more so I'd say than any other sport in terms of actual human contact so I think it's interesting that they were you know the first sport to try and get back up and running in the U.S. I think I think a major thing with with this sport as well is that unlike the other sports you know that you know obviously sweat is a concern when it comes to close contact you know basketball and football you know they they weren't at their they weren't like existing like the NBA, the NFL wasn't a thing yet during this time exactly. And you know, college football, the players were still being in kind of close contact with each other. But boxing and wrestling, it, it a lot had a lot more blood being shed and a lot more, you know, being exposed to just even more than just the flu compared to right. each other. Right, definitely. Um, and you know what's interesting with COVID is they're still, you know, not a hundred percent sure in terms of does it spread through bodily fluids, you know, they don't think it spreads through sweat. Um, I'm not sure what testing has been done about does it spread through blood, Um, but, you know, it definitely spreads through spit, Um, you know, hence the uh, spitting ban in baseball. So, I mean, you know, if you're just in that close 
close contact with somebody, like it's going to happen. So, you know, I think they can test all they want, but you know, at the end of the day, I think it's certainly, I think they're playing with fire a little bit by coming back so soon and without, you know, um, I guess certain precautions. I know it would be hard to, um, you know, box or wrestle in a mask, but I think it's certainly doable. What's interesting, because I completely agree, it is somewhat questionable, although they have done a pretty good job being isolated. The good thing about those sports, because despite the high levels of contact with a combat sport, you can very much limit the number of people associated with the fighters. And with the you have usually the team of like two to three members and you have the fighter, but they've had no fans. These people that are announcing the game are kind of in their own little location off of everything else. And it's just, it's only two people fighting, whether compared to basketball, where there's 10 people, baseball, there's at least 10 people on the field at a time. And even if there's more distance, there's the longer time period of people being together, which is one of the larger risk factors. It's the amount of time you're kind of near somebody else. Where in something like UFC, where it's five rounds max, you have a max of really 15 minutes in the ring with somebody with breaks at different points, which is the benefit of that. And then also the testing has been good. And I know there's been a discussion about a fighter island of some sort where a bunch of fighters will be going to some isolated location. And I don't think, I don't even think that was COVID related. It was just something that was in the works already. However, the timing of it, if it does end up happening, does seem to work out nicely. Yeah, um, John Oliver actually did a little uh, segment about Fight Island on um, last week tonight, a few weeks ago. So it's definitely something that's uh, in the works, it seems. Um, but one thing that they did mention about, or that is, you know, a known fact at this point about COVID is that it spreads much more frequently indoors than it does outdoors. Um, the transmission outdoors is very, it's a, there's a very slim chance. So the fact that most of these other sports do happen outdoors, whereas, you know, fighting typically is inside, you know, is another risk factor that they're working with. Yeah, I I, com- I completely understand. It's just it's you can mitigate some of it if you only have four people in a enclosed space. Oh, if, definitely. And if they are frequently tested and are all at least multiple times been tested negative. Ideally, there will be no tests. There have been I know in UFC, there's been a couple in. Premier Boxing, I believe there's been a couple of matches that have had to been canceled due to someone testing positive. And they've done a good job of quickly removing them, quickly isolating them. It's not perfect, but none of these are going to be perfect. And that's probably one of the biggest takeaways is that we can't expect perfection. Although, of course, we want it. We want to have no cases. We want it to come clean. However, there's almost no likelihood that everyone is clean at the end of whatever season, any sport we're talking about. Right, definitely. Yeah, that definitely um, wound up being an issue. Uh, even with hockey, basically, they faced something similar. You know, their their season was well underway. Um, so the NHL was founded in 1917, and they were able to complete their 1917 to 1918 season. But during their second season, um, the 1918 to 1919 season, um, the Stanley Cup final between the Montreal Canadiens and the Seattle Metropolitans from the Pacific Coast Hockey Association was canceled after five games by health officials because the majority of the Montreal Canadiens became infected with the Spanish flu. So, I mean, there's definitely, you know, a precedent for 
um, matches or series being canceled um, due to infection. Um, basically, that wound up being one of the only two times in the history of the Stanley Cup. So since it was created in 1980, uh, I'm sorry, 1883, you know, that it was not awarded. The only other time was in 2005 due to the NHL lockout. Um, so I think there's definitely, you know, I think the NHL, honestly, at this point does have the most in terms of a precedent that they're going up against, uh, you know, or not up against that they can refer back to because they were literally in the middle of the Stanley Cup finals. Um, basically, each team had two wins and there was one tie. So game six was going to be the deciding game. And uh, the officials were just health officials were like, you know what? Nope, you're not you're not playing this. But, you know, thanks for trying. Um, and uh, one of the Montreal Canadiens even ended up dying from the flu. Um, and the whole team had to be brought back to Montreal. Um, you know, even those who were still sick. Um, so there's definitely, you know, a precedent in terms of hockey, at least, for them to look at. Um, and actually, uh, the cup is engraved for this year, and it just says Montreal Canadiens, Seattle Metropolitan Series not completed. So it's one of two times, like I said, where the cup was not awarded. That is wild. That is, that is some story. And do you think if a similar situation happened this year where we were in the Stanley Cup Finals, two games apiece, and COVID started to get out of hand, do you think they would cancel it? Or is are sports too big right now? And as we talked about, is money too important to these leagues that they would be like, we're just going to finish. We got three more games max. Give us five days. Then we'll go home. We won't bother you. Just let us finish. Um, I think, you know, I think it's tough to say. I will say that the... NHL, and like maybe this is me being biased, they seem to be the least, the players seem to be the least, how do I say this nicely and diplomatically, the players don't seem to be as big of divas as other sports. Um, they seem to be a bit more collective and sensible rather than, you know, oh, this is what I need, this is what's best for me. Um, so I do think that if the health risk is too great, I, and, and I will say this, as much as people, you know, give Bar Gary Bettman a hard time and nothing gives me greater joy than seeing him get booed every time he comes on the ice in an arena, you know, he does do a good job. And I do genuinely think he wants to do what's best for the sport. Um, you know, so I think if there was that great of a risk where it could end up, you know, really hurting players and, and you know, on ice officials and, um, you know, even creating realistically, if they get started too soon and end up you know, infecting a bunch of people that would look badly for the NHL. And I think the NHL, you know, they're starting to really pick up more, more and more every season in the U.S. So I think to damage that right now, I think they're going to look at it very closely. I think they're the most likely to be smart about this. Um, you know, I think I'm pretty sure after the NBA, they were the first league to kind of shut down and, um, you know, and I think the NBA really only shut down because, uh, you know, the ha you had the whole microphone incident. So, um, you know, but I think the NHL was the first league to pull uh, everything, you know, down uh, right after that. So, you know, I do think they have a track record of being pretty smart about stuff. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the goal. However, I would argue on the other side that hockey players are the most passionate 
and that taking away their season. I understand if we're a week into the playoff, the expanded playoff, and players are getting it left and right, and they say this isn't worth it, we shut it down. But if we're that close to the finish line, I would imagine, just as I'm nowhere near the level of athlete, but you're so passionate, you're so close to the ultimate goal, whether it's a team that's been there recently or it's a team that's going for their first Stanley Cup in an extremely long time, you that's what you're, that's the whole point of the goal. That's the whole reason to come back is to finish off the season and get that Stanley Cup. And when if you get that close, that's when I worry that they'll kind of push you. Not just in hockey, really just any sport, but a sport that is extremely passionate, one that, as you mentioned, is trying to build up their fan base. And not having a champion in the U.S. is basically the greatest sin possibly committed. Yeah, um, I mean, back when lockdown first started, I was watching a bunch of um, interviews with players. Um, the NHL was putting out, like, these uh, Q&As with a bunch of players. Like, um, you know, you have um, more veteran players now, like Sidney Crosby and um, Ovechkin were in some of them, the Stahl brothers. Um, but then you also had newer players um, popping in there, um, you know, like uh, Matt Barzal and... Um, you know, and the perspectives were from the veteran players were, you know, there was, you know, they obviously wanted to get back and start playing again, but a lot of them were, you know, echoing kind of what I was saying, how they were like, well, if this is what we have to do, you know, to make sure everybody's safe, then this is what we have to do, you know, so I think they were being very sensible about it, um, you know, because at the end of the day, they're still people and, you know, they're athletes, but they also, a lot of them have, you know, families to protect as well you know they don't want to get it and then bring it back to their families um you know so there's there's that to play into it too they're people too um you know so it was interesting to hear that because i you know definitely would have i wouldn't have thought twice if they were like oh yeah i can't wait to get back to playing like that's our main priority blah blah blah. but a lot of them were like no you know main priority is just to make sure everybody's safe and healthy you know at first and see you know what happens like they obviously want to get back to playing but um, you know, in every one I every one of these little things I sat in on, they, um, you know, a lot of them seem to have this kind of the, the health of the community above getting back to sports. Believe it or not. So you know, not I'm- to completely shift the the subject to like soccer or anything, but like when I think about how a lot of the sport leagues in in Europe, basically, it's only the soccer leagues in. They've recently been on their way coming back. Like the German league, they started coming back like a month and a half ago. The Italian league just started coming back last week. The Premier League, England, started coming back last week. And all those leagues, they were already like 30 games in in a 38-game season where, you know, their winner predict is chosen by whoever has the most points after all 38 games or however many teams are, are in the league. And like what we just noticed with Liverpool – who they had just won the league, but they had gone into they they suspended the season when they were four points away from winning their first title in in thirty years, and all of a sudden there were talks of the league being canceled and voided. And next thing you know, all the players, all the fans were like hoping for the sport to come back, just because Liverpool were literally so close just before the pandemic happened that if this season got voided, they felt like they were cursed or something, that they will never win the season after after that. But, you know, they started coming back and they got their they got their, their trophy or they got their win. 
this not a, a couple of days ago, but having that that fear and you can see that that passion in the fans and the players that they were so close to winning, just finish it when they're almost there, and they suspended the season for two and a half months. Right. Yeah, and I mean, then you also get the um, people who say, well, even though they won, is there an asterisk next to this victory? Because it wasn't a real season. You know, there was, you know, things that happened. They got a two-month break. Did that help them? Did that hurt them? You know, so I think that'll be interesting as we start to see, because I think, I believe the NBA is going to be jumping right into playoffs, and I know the NHL is. So, you know, it kind of also gives that same thing. Is there an asterisk next to these championships for this year? Because... Are they real? Were they earned? You know, I know I know. you said the soccer leagues had very little left to play, but still, you know, there's that, oh, well, they won, but here's what happened that season. Yeah, and like, for example, in the, the Italian league, there was two teams that were going, that were hot this year, and they were going neck and neck, one point between each other. Since the restart has happened, one team has stayed being hot and the other team stayed being cold. And you're going to now think about, well, once the team that stayed hot wins their title, you know, would this have happened two months ago when the other team was hot as well? And that factor of having that two and a half month, three months break in between, especially when it comes to some players due to their age, really affects how the, the season goes. Like I know a few months isn't much for most of the younger players, but as you get older and more, you know, not, you're not as fresh as you could be definitely takes a toll on the body. Right, definitely. Um, I mean, we've definitely seen quite a few retirements during this period where I think older players were just like, you know what, you know, my body at this point isn't going to go back to what it was. Um, You know, and I think it was interesting not to go back to hockey, but this is just, you know, what I know. Um, When I was listening to those group interviews, a surprising amount of players didn't have home gyms and things like that because they were so used to working out at the team facilities that they didn't have a need for a home gym. Um, you know, since so this is months where they were just kind of doing makeshift home workouts and not skating and not keeping up with their conditioning because they literally couldn't. Um, not to mention, you know, we don't know how these players, you know, in any sport, whether it's the Italian league in soccer or, you know, any league here, you know, we don't know how their personal lives were affected as well. You know, I keep seeing things and keep talking to people about not to get, you know, all into psychology here, but we're going through a global pandemic. There's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, if people's basic needs of safety and security aren't being met, we can't get to our top form, you know, because there's literally more pressing issues to deal with, you know. So I think the personal as well as the physical, you know, aspects of players being ready and how they handled all the time off, you know, certainly comes into play as well. Absolutely. That is going to be a major question mark, as you mentioned, the long layoffs. And a lot of these, baseball is a little different because baseball hasn't had a season up to this point. But basketball, they were 60 games in hockey. They were a good amount of the season in. And seeing how they were able to deal with the past few months of really not being able to do. Some players have had access to private gyms or private courts, but then there have been some. I know Giannis Antetokounmpo in particular, who said he hasn't been able to go outside and play basketball because he lives in like a small apartment with his girlfriend, I believe girlfriend. So there's just going to be a wide variant of readiness once the leagues come back. And 
this has not it's not totally related to covid but there's gonna be a lot of potential injuries as you were talking about due to that right definitely i wanted to move on to so we got we covered most of sammy wanted to bring up his soccer because that's what he loves to do but i want to bring it back to the u.s because that's where we live and that's besides le blue that's the spot that matters to us but since we both, I teach the youth, you teach the youth, all of us recently just graduated college, I want to get into those lower level sports, so college and high school. And what happened at the lower levels that we can maybe look at and try to figure out what's going to happen now or upcoming? Sure. So. Obviously, um, you know, that's a big question mark because if universities aren't open, I've seen, you know, um, quotes saying that if universities aren't open in the fall, then college sports aren't going to be open. But for a lot of those big schools, people don't necessarily realize that the revenue from those sports teams is what helps fund the school. So that's kind of a big deal. Not that the colleges are hurting for money, um, but, you know, it's still something to consider. It might impact the amount of scholarships they can give out, things like that. So in 1918, the Army-Navy game was canceled. Most college and high school sports were canceled in 1918, and the only postseason game was the 1919 tournament uh, East-West game in Pasadena, California, which today is the Rose, the Rose Bowl. Um, there were shortened seasons for you know um, any teams or leagues that could play. Um, but there were restrictions on travel. Practices um, had restrictions, just like, you know, the things we're seeing now. Um, there's even images of Georgia Tech fans in the stands wearing masks. So, you know, that's something that we could look at if college sports do come back. You know, they might limit attendance. They, they will certainly be requiring people to wear masks, I'd imagine. Um, yeah, so I think... You know, there is a pretty good precedent in terms of college sports. Obviously, you know, the Spanish flu and COVID are two different viruses, but, you know, I think it at least has been what we've been going off of. So, you know, there is kind of a precedent. Um, but then there's also the issue of will players want to play? College athletes don't get paid. So, you know, if they have, um, you know, maybe if somebody lives locally and lives with an elderly relative, they might think the risk is too high. Um, I know that back in 1918, some some schools failed to even be, to be able to put together a team because there was just players didn't want to play. Um, and so some just canceled their seasons entirely. Um, and what happened was basically Pittsburgh and Michigan shared the national championship, though neither team played more than five games. Um, so, you know, again, you have that whole idea of is there an asterisk next to any um, you know, championship won this year, but, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens because again, college sports is such a money-making business now. Um, whereas I don't think the financial aspect of it back then really came into play. It was more just, this is college sports, you know? Um, so I think that's definitely interesting because college sports more and more are being run like professional sports in terms of revenue for, the schools, you know, in terms of advertising, merchandise, um, things like that. So I think it'll be interesting. Um, and I think the, a lot of the decision-making will be driven by economics rather than, you know, uh, the well-being and safety of the players and the uh, staff. Absolutely. You, you make a lot of interesting points there. The money is certainly one 
and going off of that, the idea of professionalism within college football in particular wasn't as much of a thing in 1918, where it is now, I believe, a lot more players, at least at the higher ranks, maybe not as much as the lower schools. I know a couple of schools, a lot of uh, HBCUs have been canceling games, and a couple of teams, or one team, I want to say Tennessee State maybe, canceled their entire college football season. But some of these schools, the higher levels, maybe up to 70% of their revenue comes from college football. And not only does it decimate what the school is able to do with its student population, but other sports are at risk of being canceled, even if they are not totally related. Because if you don't have football, a lot of the money that they use for football goes into all these other sports as well, because a lot of them aren't as big into making money as profitable. Right. So I that's going to be a big... I don't think Penn State's uh, badminton team is going to be as uh, well-funded as uh, the football team. I don't think so either. And also just the the geography has also seemed to be a, a big part where I believe a lot of teams maybe in the north, like Big Ten schools in particular, may be more reticent on coming back where the SEC seems fully interested in re- resuming almost no matter what. Because football is just one more important there and to just the way our culture is and how people have felt about COVID-19, where a lot of those states, although their numbers are increasing now, they've been much more negligent towards it and have been opening up earlier, whereas a lot of the northern states, some of them have been negligent as well, but a lot of them have been much more careful and have seen, the at this point, at least the benefits of that. So I'm curious if we're going to have certain conferences where maybe like the big 10 for example where some team like northwestern refuses not to play or rutgers in maryland so you have only maybe like 10 to 8 to 10 teams in the big 10 but the sec has its full conference and then you're skewed on your games and the asterisk thing i don't want to get into too much because every sport has a potential asterisk depending not only on how the season begins and who plays and who doesn't but just based on the results the nba is one that's Interesting because I believe that as long as one of the best teams doesn't win it, there'll be an asterisk no matter what, even if COVID makes zero impact or at least seems to make zero impact directly. So that's kind of, I know a lot of people are curious about the asterisk part. I'm not too worried about it. It's going to likely happen one as long as it's, if there's either direct impact by COVID or if just the result is seems to be skewed because of the long-term effects then we'll get that asterisk no matter what. Right, that's true. Um, And I mean, just even, you know, even though the NBA wasn't in existence, you know, um, in 1918, something we can at least look at now is, you know, March Madness was canceled, which I'm not sure if that's ever even happened before. You know, that might have been an unprecedented event, um, you know, for, for a whole tournament. You know, one of the biggest college sports tournaments to be canceled is wild yeah and even at the time that was a huge deal i was bummed about it i was we felt almost premature obviously it was not but that was when we were in the very early stages of covid and there was some people were on top of it right away knowing the potential dangerous effects and the easy ability for it to spread but people even me a little bit early on was more negligent to that idea and just wanted college basketball stay and wanted that normalcy to reign supreme so it was and as you mentioned march madness is a huge cash cow 
brings in so much money for a lot of these schools and for the NCA. So canceling that was a very honestly courageous move by the NCA. And you can't say the NCA is known for its courage and spot and its backbone. Definitely. And I'm also curious to see what this does in terms of giving players leverage in terms of negotiating for themselves, like whether they're allowed to take sponsorships and things like that, because I know that's been a hot button issue in college sports. Um, you know, for a while, you know, these players are basically treated like professional athletes and the schools profit off them, but they aren't making money. You know, yes, some of them have scholarships, but still. Not only are they not making money, they're not they're not allowed to make money off their own likeness. That's, right. I believe, the biggest thing. And that will likely be what changes first. It's not going to be that the schools are paying the players. It's that the players can go out and sign, get sponsorships, can kind of do whatever they need to do to make money for themselves, where now they would be suspended if they did. I know there was one player, a kicker, I believe, who posted YouTube videos, and because he made money off, like, like dollars, like, not even hundreds or thousands, just, like, basic money off, like, advertisement of the YouTube videos, he wasn't, he was considered ineligible to play. Wow. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe that's one of the positives that will come out of this is that players will have a little more leverage, you know, because if they're going to be expected to play where it's not 100%, their safety can't be 100% guaranteed, you know, they might push back and say, hey, you know, we have to start being able to, you know, profit for ourselves here, you know, and I think that might give them a leg to stand on because without them, they don't have a product, which has always been the case, but even more so now. Yeah, I, I agree because the colleges are more desperate for the players at this point than the players are for the college because such a small proportion of players are going to make it professionally anyway. They're likely, they can just study their finance or their engineering or whatever they're going to do in life and it won't really impact them too much where the NCAA needs the money from these leagues going on and especially the March Madness and college football in particular. Right. Yeah, so I think this is definitely going to give the players a bit more of a leg up on the schools. I think there was a thing with the with the bigger schools recently. I like I mentioned I, I heard that I want to say last week players from UT Austin, University of Texas, uh, were starting to get a lot of cases. I think Texas in general was just having more cases on the rise. And then I think Clemson, I read something yesterday that Clemson got up to 37 football players who were Affected by the virus or had the virus at some point. Oh, jeez. And LSU, you can't forget your team. Well, they didn't. I didn't see any numbers specifically. I just saw that it was rumored that it was LSU sport. I didn't see anything. It was actually football players. Did it end up being football players? I believe it was a lot of the football players. I'm not hundred percent, but I believe it was largely football players that were hanging around, kind of around the campus area. But yeah, Clemson's had a huge number. Texas has had a rising case, as we I've talked about with the Rangers. It's just that entire state is, I mean, they just went on lockdown again because the numbers have gone up so rapidly in recent weeks. But that's, yeah, so let's kind of, unless you have anything to add about the Spanish flu, I want to kind of talk about takeaways potentially that we could, besides what we, I feel like we have mentioned some, however, we should maybe delve into that a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. I just want to bring up one before we move on. Um, we're, there must have been an Olympics during this time, right? During 1918? Was, was there was there an Olympics? Was it 1918 or 1920 was, was there an Olympics? And 
was any of that affected by by the flu because you know for us over here now we had that canceled and that that disappointed a lot of people who enjoy just watching america win <laughs> there were no olympics in 1918 because it was supposed to be in berlin in 1918 and they were still dealing with the war so it did not happen there was the summer olympics in 16 and 20 but the winter olympics in 1918 did not happen due to world war one not as much the spanish flu apparently there was an olympics in tokyo in 2020 mm. yeah that's getting pushed it's to 2021 to yeah i meant i meant uh 1920 no 1920 so was, was the... antwerp belgium, belgium. And it, wasn't, it didn't it wasn't um there was no impact from the spanish flu yeah, it was just the 1918 one, but that wasn't happening regardless of the Spanish flu. But yeah, the 2020 Olympics were pushed to 2021, which yeah had a lot of backlash and certain, plenty of other things that have been moved on. A lot of the Boston Marathon was canceled for the first time in its history. The New York one was just canceled the, too. Yeah, the, the running races, which has been kind of sad to me. A lot of the tennis and and golf have been pushed around and pushed back and canceled the masters was canceled for the first time i want to say since the 1930s maybe so a lot of sports have been just canceled outright but we have some sports coming back basketball has contingency plans they are going to be in a bubble in orlando the nhl is finalizing their locations they're going to have a 22 team playoff MLB is going to have a 60-game season. We haven't not heard too much about football, either college or professional. However, I'm going to presume both of them will return in some capacity. NFL likely more than college football, as we discussed. I wouldn't be surprised if a few teams that are higher up end up deciding not to play. So which one do you want to start with first? Doesn't matter to me. Let's start with your sport. Let's start with hockey. So we kind of, we obviously talked some about hockey. Do you, where do you, do if you had to guess between where they're kind of looking now, do you have any spots that you believe they'll end up choosing for their homeland for the playoffs? Um, I know that Vancouver was not really ruled out necessarily, but they were looking at it, but then they kind of cooled on the idea of Vancouver. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Montreal or Toronto. Um, Toronto would certainly make a lot of sense. Um, but um, in terms of a U.S. city, I know they were looking at Chicago, which would probably be a safe option. Um, I know they handled this pretty well. Um, the whole state handled this pretty well. And I know I've been to uh, the United Center. It's a it's a good facility, um, you know, and it's, you know, um, I think it would be a good city in terms of geography as well. It's kind of, you know, middle middle of the U.S. and Canada almost. Um, you know, certainly there's a few cities that are more centrally located, but in terms of um, arenas that have updated facilities and things like that, I think the UC would be good. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know at this point. I think it's still too early to say for sure where they're going because they don't even know. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being Toronto and Chicago or um, because I know now California is also seeing a huge rise in cases and a lot of, you know, sta- states toward the West are getting hit again. So I, I would think they would want to stay away from that. Yeah, the final six currently are Chicago, Edmonton, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Toronto and Vancouver. So three Canadian ones, two on the West Coast and then Chicago. Las Vegas would be interesting because they sort of already have a bubble and they have, as you mentioned, a recently renovated stadium because they just got a new team a few years ago. 
and they're trying to continue to build that market there. Plus, we know Vegas has plenty of different hotels and staying locations that would be pretty easy to set up, unlike yes. probably yep. some of these yeah. other cities. The only thing, though, that concerns me about Vegas is there has been such a heavy um, tourism push as they've opened up. Um, I know the mayor of Las Vegas um, was offering free flights and stuff to people. Um, so, you know, as people have been traveling there, I'm curious if they'll feel it's safe because, you know, people were probably trying to escape their own states. So they might have gone there for a quick, you know, trip, um, you know, just because their their entire economy is literally tourism based. So I'm curious, and, and, you know, I've seen pictures of crowded casinos and stuff in the past few weeks, so I'm curious, you know, if they'll start to see a rise as well. Um, and I think their location, though, is just concerning as well because, you know, they are, you know, relatively close. They're drivable from states like Arizona and even California where, you know, you are starting to see those heavy upticks again. Um, like Los Angeles County, I think, just rose by some crazy percentage so in orange county so um you know i wouldn't be surprised if they just decide to stay away from the west coast entirely yeah that i'm yeah i don't know how much we talked about money and how i don't know how much the money versus the safety factors will play no i would probably i'm gonna guess what just gonna guess one of the canadian cities i think vancouver would be a good one they are a very hungry hockey city and would welcome it with open arms having the NHL there. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, at this point, it's anybody's guess. Um, like I said, though, I did see them start to kind of cool on the idea of uh, Vancouver, apparently, and start to look more closely at Toronto. So I think it'll be interesting. I mean, they'll certainly be making a decision shortly, I'd assume. So. Yeah, I mean, I hope so, since it's coming back in, what, like a month? Yep. That will be interesting. NBA is going to be a fascinating case study because of the bubble that they're kind of doing in Disney World. So they're going to, they're in Disney and they're going to have people there, both employees, and they're going to just have people come to the park because that is going to be open while the NBA playoffs are going on. And that is, even though they're not really going to be interacting, there's going to be a lot into that. We don't want to get into it too much because. They NBA sent out a hundred plus page memo, and I don't really want to delve into those details. <laughs> or we're going to be here all day. But what are you thinking about how the NBA is going to react? Because as you mentioned, that was one sport that wasn't really around a hundred years ago, and it seems like more than all the other sports, they've really done a job, good job of trying their best to make it as safe as possible for their players. Because they are a league that's very open to the public, unlike hockey that you don't really know what's going on too much football where the players are quiet on certain issues and baseball as sammy and i have talked about previously they're just more focused on getting a season than anything else but nba players are very vocal leaders in their community and within the country so the nba has almost in a way been forced by player involvement and player empowerment to make sure that their league is safe and as you mentioned they were the first one to shut down due to rudy gobert and that whole incident so I think they're trying to be a role model for other sports in a sense. How do you think that's going to play out? Well, first of all, they're living out my dream of being stuck on Disney property. So, I mean, I think that's an excellent decision on their part. Um, but on a serious note, um, I actually wouldn't be surprised if Disney pushes back on their opening dates for parks because I know that um, Disneyland and Anaheim had 
opening dates in mind, but as the cases started to surge there, they pushed back, and now they don't have a set opening date, I believe. So I wouldn't be surprised as Florida continues to fall apart if that happens as well. So at least that would make it safer for the NBA to keep going, because if there aren't, you know, guests on Disney property, then that helps kind of um, build, or I guess build up the bubble a bit better, Um, you know, and they just have the employees and um, resort workers, I guess, you know, that they need on property. So, you know, in a way, I feel like the rising cases in Florida might actually help the NBA in terms of keeping their players safe. Yeah, and the number of cases will likely also just, the entire league will be on more be more highly aware and not if they know everywhere around them people are getting it they're not going to be pushing the boundaries they're going to stay inside and that will likely keep the numbers down at least lower than the national average but the i'm more curious about if those cases do happen i mean we don't want to i know you're here for more than the history than the sports impact but this is one where the asterisk could be really big because there are three teams right now, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Los Angeles Lakers, Los Angeles Clippers, who are all the big three favorites to win the NBA Finals this year. And if something happens that one of those three teams does not win it, that's where that big asterisk we're talking about is likely going to show up. Because even if it's a long layoff, which leads to an injury, or just a team's not ready, or players, even if they're minor players, don't play, or if someone on a team gets it, or if a large contingency of a team gets it, and it makes the path either easier for one of these other teams or just makes it more difficult for one of the big teams. That's where the NBA is going to deal with their biggest public issue. I don't. I believe they'll basically try to push through this no matter what, unless it gets way too out of hand. But whether or not the season seems legitimized is what's going to be the huge question. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, anybody's guess at this point, you know, I, I, I don't think anybody has an answer for that, you know, because especially for the NBA, this is so unprecedented, you know, at least other teams do have, or other leagues and other sports do have some sort of, um, you know, a precedent in terms of how this was handled in the past. So, you know, I guess we'll see what happens. Absolutely. And Sammy, anything else you want to ask? Um, I was curious more on, you know, we had the NFL draft not too long ago, and obviously we have a bunch of rookies and, they're probably going to be affected next season when, or whenever they are, they are going to be able to play their season. And, you know, not being able to practice with the team, not being able to work out with the team and get to know their teammates properly. How much do you see that truly affecting their performance when they come back? I mean, I personally do not expect it to be too much because the precedent for that is lockouts in all these sports we've had later seasons. And rookies have a pretty tough time getting into the league as it is. However, everyone has that equal playing field now of not really being totally prepared. And I think that gives the rookies a better chance because they're learning at the same rate as everyone else's. They don't have the... Most of these players don't have access to the training facilities and everything like that, just like the rookies do. So everyone's going to be kind of out of shape when they get back, which just gives, if the rookies are just more willing to adapt, they're going to struggle with learning a system. However, right now, all they really have to do is focus on learning the system. So I see a lot more benefits. And we saw in that first lockout year, that was the Cam Newton draft year in the NFL in particular. And he had a 
huge rookie season, one of the best rookie seasons for any quarterback in NFL history. Do I expect to see that from the upcoming crop of quarterbacks? Not necessarily, but I wouldn't be surprised if Joe Burrow had better numbers than people would expect for a rookie. We'll complain with that. Yeah, I didn't think you would. So, Marissa, let's kind of wrap it up. Any final thoughts, comments, takeaways you want to have the listeners get from this episode and from the Spanish flu and comparing it to COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be certainly interesting to see what happens, you know, if there is a second wave that's obviously going to impact things quite a bit. Um, You know, I wouldn't be surprised if... um, you know, certainly next NHL season is going to be shortened. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the same goes for the NBA um, or if they don't happen at all, if there is a second wave, because realistically they would want to pick back those seasons back up right around when the second wave would be happening. So at that point they may just cancel altogether. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of it will be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, if this does follow a kind of a multi-wave um model like the Spanish flu did, you know, and just keeping in mind that this isn't the first time it happened and realistically it probably won't be the last. And at least now, you know, we'll have a precedent to look at even more so than 1918, um, you know, going forward, hopefully this won't happen again, but just realistically it will. Um, and yeah, I mean, the fact that, you know, sports have been impacted before and they've come back, so it'll, it'll happen again, you know, everything will shake out how it's going to shake out basically. Yeah, let's just hope for the health and safety of both the players and everyone involved in the best way possible. Because truthfully, I know the money is important, but the health and safety should be the number one focus. Definitely, because I mean, you know, realistically, player um, teams have to realize that you know this sounds callous, but if their players aren't safe and healthy, they don't have a product. You know, unfortunately, that's how it's looked at. But I mean, on a human level, hopefully, they'll realize too that these are people, not just you know, uh, a way to profit and they'll, you know, really have their players best interest in mind, um, first before having, um, money, you know, in the forefront of their decision. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a hundred percent with you there. Sammy, anything else you want to add before we close up? That's all for me. All right. Well, Marissa, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for coming on and doing this. We will certainly have you back on for other firmly classics. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a good time. Good way to start my day. I'm glad. And Sammy, thanks for coming on as always. Thanks for having me as always. And thank you all for listening to Firmly Grass It. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Grasp2020. You can e- find us on Instagram at Grasp2020. Facebook, Firmly Grasp It. Email us any questions or comments, graspit2020 at gmail.com. If we missed anything, if there's anything else you want to know, just send us an email there and we'll follow up with you. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll talk to you soon.